All right, Esther 5. Now you remember the story, and we're going to just pick it up at the banquet where we left off. And now it happened, verse 1. If you'll stand with me, we're going to read verse 1 together. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. When you look at that first verse, you get a good picture where he was at. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his side. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand, that Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, that he may do as Esther said. And so the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom. It shall be done. Then Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this. If I had found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So Haman... Verse 9, went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. And when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself, went home, and was sent and called for his friends and his wife Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the officials, and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, Besides, King Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. And yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Verse 14, Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made, fifty cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it, and then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he made, so he had the gallows made. Let's pray. God, you're with us today, and we're so thankful. God, touch our ears so we can hear exactly what you'd say to us today. This is your day. We dedicate it, submit it to you, God. I don't want it to be my day. I don't want it to be any other thing except you. And God, today, let us concentrate on you as we learn about doing your will. We love you and we thank you for being with us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have this story in which Haman is invited to go to the banquet because remember, Esther is put on the spot in the last chapter. Because the decree has been given that all the Jews are going to be killed. And she's the only one that is a Jew and they don't know about. She's the only one that could stand in the gap. She's the only one that could maybe possibly say something to get the king to change his mind. And she's not sure she has that pull anymore. 
Remember in the last chapter, she says, and she tells Mordecai, he tells her that she needs to go in and speak to the king. She says, I haven't seen him for a month. I've not been there in his presence for 30 days. And the thoughts going through her mind is, maybe I'm not Miss Persia anymore. Maybe I'm not as, as loved and respected. And maybe I don't have the same clout and, and the same status that I once had. And she's afraid for her life. Because if she goes before the king without him calling her, great possibility she could die. She prays, and remember at the last part of the last chapter, she tells Mordecai to gather all of the people, all of the Jews together in the fast with her and for her for three days. Remember that part? And between that chapter and this chapter, the fasting took place. Now I want you to look as we look at the first verse, we see a different Esther because in verse 1, we see what she does. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes. I want you to remember that phrase. And stood in the inner court of the king's palace, across from the king's house, while the king stood on, sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. So we have a very good idea that that was the king and he was royal. And we understand the, the, where she's at and what she's doing. Now this part of the story takes a turn towards potential danger because as we said, in order for her to stand up to her, for her people, Esther's going to have to stand before the king unannounced. Now this could end her life. We understand that. But the Scripture teaches here that she puts on her royal robes and comes into His presence. Now, what did she have on? Was she just... I don't know. How, do, how are you at your house? You got your pajama pants on or your... Your, your, your sweats, or, or I, I don't know. I don't know what she was typically wearing, but I, I got a feeling that since she was fasting, and since it was the tradition of the Jews that when they're in mourning, they're wearing sackcloth and ashes, maybe she wasn't wearing sackcloth and ashes because no one knew she was a Jew. But I don't think she was really decked out. I don't think she was dressed up. But at the end of the period in which she prayed, and at the end of all the fasting, and when she knows the time has come, she grabs a hold of who she is. She's the queen. And she puts on the royal robes and goes stand before the king. You know, there comes a time that you're going to have to figure out and remember who you are. Do you know who you are? I mean, I have, I have spent a lot of time telling you sometimes that I've told you from the pulpit that you're not very good. I've told you that. I've told you that you're a sinner before. I've told you that you're not worth a whole lot. I've said all that from this pulpit with love, if you can say it with love. I've done it. But I've also quick to remind you that through Christ you can do all things. He is the one who makes you who you are. I, there's this false philosophy and theology and all this out there that wants you to think, oh, you've got it all going on and you're special and if it is to be, it's up to me and you can do all that you can do. You can't do anything unless Jesus is in you. You're worth nothing, but with Jesus you're worth it all. Isn't it amazing that you're worth nothing because of sin, but Jesus considered you valuable enough to die for you, go to a cross for you, you're that worth it, much worth it to Him. And isn't it amazing 
that she is able to figure out, you know, I am something. I'm the queen. I'm the queen. She puts on the royal robes and she goes and stands in the court and she remembers who she is. It's a great plot, isn't it? Great story. Turns and twists. And all through this story, we see that Esther is doing God's will. The question that comes to my mind as we look at this and as we get a little deeper is this. What does it take? What does it take to do God's will? Because as a Christian, that ought to be your desire. You ought to want to please God. Amen? We spend our lives doing things that makes us happy. And we think, well, we've had a spell and I've had it rough and I think I deserve a little bit. I think I deserve this. I think I'm going to indulge myself a little bit. I'm going to do something for once that makes me happy. And we've all had those feelings, but I need to, to need you to know something. All that stuff is, is fleeting. It don't last. The pleasure and the things that you build up for yourself in this life, it's fun and, and you enjoy it. And some of it's really good. But what are you building for the next life? What are you working on for when you are in heaven if you're saved? And see, that's the most important question. Are you saved? The next life, see, this, this life, I, I'm stumbling through it okay. How about you? I pretty much have the routine down. You wake up in the morning and you just wait for things to hit you. Amen? Isn't that pretty much the routine? Now, we think we got it planned out and we think we, but really, if you want to be honest, how life goes is you wake up and you wait and see what happens until you get tired enough. And then you go to sleep. Now, is that not basically your daily existence? For me, it is. Now, I, I like to dress it up, say it's better than that. But I can stumble through this life. I can't stumble through the next one. I have to know who I am now. And as we look at this, we see that, that she's doing God's will. I want to look at three principles today about doing God's will and what it takes, and what it requires. And the first one is this. Doing God's will requires preparation. Doing God's will requires preparation. If you're an organized person, if you're a person that likes to plan, if you're a person that likes to have everything figured out before you do it, I want you to very, organ in an organized way, lift your hand. Now, these are all the, the smart folks, and the, these are the organized people, okay? Now, if you're not like that, raise your hand. Okay, see the difference? There's a huge difference. But everybody that raised their hand last, you're thankful for the ones that raised it first. Now, when, when we think about this, doing God's will requires preparation. Now, there is a preparation that you and I can do. There is a planning that we can put together. But the preparation that is most important in this story is that the people got together and they fasted and sought God's will in this. They had no uh, really guarantee that, that Esther is going to come through this alive. She could, we see what happened in the story, but she could have just easily come before the king. He'd jump up and, and holler and yell, guards, and she could be dead in, in 30 minutes' notice. She had them help her prepare by seeking God. How, how do you do God's will? 
Well, in order to do it, you need to know it. Is that not true? In order to do something, you're going to need to know what it is that you're called to do. And most of us, if we're honest, spend our lives saying, well, I don't really know what God wants me to do. Yeah, you do. You really do. You may not know the whole plan, and you may not have it all spelled out, but you know you're supposed to live for Him. And whatever He's calling you to do, whatever your, the Bible teaches you to do, church, it's not rocket science. That's what you're supposed to do. The problem isn't that you don't know what you're supposed to do. The problem is, is you don't want to do it. Now, did you notice how quiet it was right there? I have preached messages and I've got amen to where I just pat myself on the back. I'm so good. But these messages don't get many amens. But I want to submit to you that just is true. Amen? And we don't do God's will, but we're supposed to and we're called to. And it requires preparation. She had three days of prayer and fasting. It took place from the last line of chapter 4 to the first line of chapter 5. Esther was allowing God to prepare her to accomplish His will in the lives of His people. Listen, when you're called to do something, many of you say, well, might as well get it done. You get up out of the chair and you go do it. Sometimes you're called to do that. But did you know sometimes God says, I want you to get ready before you do it. Sometimes God wants you to be, as the Scripture says, instant and in season and all that stuff. I believe that. Sometimes God said, no, you're going to need a little preparation. I need to get you ready for this. Uh, Moses didn't go do what Moses did overnight. Moses had to be in the wilderness for a long time. And then he had to see a burning bush. And then he had to have all these things take place before Moses delivered God's people. He was not somebody that just got fresh out of seminary and said, let's go took a while. And preparation is very important in doing God's will. Why? Because if you do something half-baked, if you do something on a whim, you're more likely to be working out of your will than God's will. We've got to be clear. We've got to understand what God wants us to do. And, and, and God's will requires preparation. Now God took, and this is how I see her, He took a scared, unsure Jewish girl and made her a confident Persian queen that He used, that He directed She's the instrument that's going to save the people. You know, a lot of times we think of the Bible being sexist and most of the heroes are, are, are guys. Women, here's a good one right here. Here's a good one right here. She's not the only one, amen? But here's a good one right here. Had it not been for Esther, how different would the Bible be? Had it not been for Rahab, the person of questionable repute. Isn't it amazing we don't call harlots harlots anymore. We say questionable repute. PC, politically correct. Had it not been for Rahab, been no Jesus. 
And what did he do? He used these ladies and others to accomplish his will. And we see Esther telling Mordecai, bring the people together and pray for me. Don't, don't you know? Hey, get them off the streets. You know, we're selective in our prayers. We call, would you pray for me? And we're real quiet about it. Brother so-and-so, would you pray for me? Don't, don't tell nobody else because it's none of their business. But, but would you pray? Listen, if you've got a need and it's dire, you don't care who knows it. You'll, call, you'll just say, you need to pray for me. And really, I, you know, there are times that there, there may be some things that I, I don't want a whole lot of prayer for. But I tell you what, I was feeling so bad the other day, I wish the whole world would have been praying for me. Because I needed it. You know, there are times that, that we need the prayer. And she said, get them together and pray for what I'm to do. She prepared. How much different would your family be if you had that kind of preparation over your decisions in your life? How much more effective would the church be if we truly prayed for every ministry we ever did? Now you say, oh, this is a church. Surely we pray. We do. But I promise you we could always pray more. Think of the preparation as we prepare to do the things God called us to do. God's will requires preparation. But not only that, church, God's will, the second one is this, God, doing God's will takes boldness. In order to do God's will, there comes a point when the preparation ends and now it's time to step out. And when you step out, you need to be prepared enough that it's a sure step, not a, well, maybe I better go prepare again. Because once you take the step, you can't take it back. It's like saying those sometimes some of the stuff comes out of your mouth and you wish you could get it back. Have you ever had one of those moments? You say something, and, and I've done this, I've almost literally put my hands out to grab the words and they don't, I can't stop them. I, I've tried it, but it don't work. Doing God's will takes boldness. There comes a point that you've got to put the boots on the ground and you've got to do it. And if you're so sure in the preparation stage that God's called you to do it, don't go question yourself now. Once you take the step, you've got to be bold. Verse 1 says that she put on her royal robes. At this point, she had a made-up mind. She said, I'm the queen. There comes a moment that you're going to say, well, the guys won't, but you're going to say, I am the queen. Guys, I hope you don't say that. Amen? I am the king. I am God's child. I am called by the King. I am a saved person in Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There comes a moment that you're going to say that. And you're not just pumping yourself up. It's not just the power of positive thinking, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that reveals to you that you're more than a conqueror in Christ. There comes a time that you'll do that. And you'll need it too because some things are pretty tough. You'll need to be convinced. You'll need to be sure. I'm not just going to stand up in my own power. This past week and last week we celebrated with our veterans and those who have served, and we're so thankful for those who have served. And I'm not a military person. I've not been through basic training, boot camp, or whatever you may refer to it as. And I don't know what all the person goes through when they go through. Some of you do. 
It was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Walk in the park, wasn't it? I'm sure it wasn't. There's a lot of preparation that takes place. There's a lot of, of um, convincing that needs to be done. You've got to figure out who's the boss. The recruit or the drill instructor. And you know, in that battle, every story I've ever heard, it's always affirmed that it's the drill instructor that's the boss. If the recruit can't make it, the recruit gets gone. And they have to prepare the soldier, the marine, the sailor, the airman. They have to prepare them for the task they're going to do. Because they go in. 18, 19, 20-something year old men and women. Many of them fresh out of high school. College or in that age group. They have their own ideas. That has to get erased. And they have to be taught the way of the military, whichever branch they serve. They have to prepare them. And they're very good. They'll, they'll teach you how to dress. They'll teach you how to make your bed up. Teach you how to eat, walk, talk. You have to relearn all that stuff, I'm told. And do it their way. And they prepare you for what you have to do. And when you get through with all your training and, and all the stuff that it takes to get you prepared, the hope is that when you get out on the front line, if there ever comes a time that you have to fight, that you'll be able to do it with boldness. You won't have to look around for a drill instructor because all that's done been taught. All of that's been learned. And even though nobody wants to have, ever have to pull a trigger... Sometimes you have to pull the trigger. And you have to be prepared. It takes boldness, doesn't it? Verse 1 says she puts on the royal robes and stood, which is an act of defiance in the inner court. She's acting in the role that, that God had put her in. She was queen for a reason. I want to share with you that you're a child of God for a reason. And I even want to step out on a limb just a little bit and say that it's not just for your salvation. You're a child of God for your salvation, but also for the salvation of your families. For the people that you are near. You're saved so they can see you and they can get saved. You're to be a witness. You're to be the light. You're to be the example. You're to be the force that when they don't want to go to church, honey, you take them anyway. You all heard a story about the drug problem. The kids that got drugged to church. That's the only drug person I want. That's the only drug problem I want my kids to have. That's the only drug problem I want my kids to have, being drugged to church. But the hope is, is one day being drugged to church, something's going to stick. And of course, it's more than just going to church. But we understand. That doing God's will takes boldness. And Esther had boldness. She stood in the court. She took the step. Didn't know how it's going to turn out. You ever go do something and I don't know how it's going to turn out? You ever have a big day at work or some big event in your life at school? A project maybe at school? 
or, or, or something that you're about to do, and, and you think it's pretty good, you hope it's alright, but you wake up and say, nah, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Everybody's around you, oh, it's going to be fine. Just hang in there. Your mom, mama just gives you a kiss on the cheek. You know, it's, you're going to be so good. And you're not convinced. And you go into the uncertainty, and then it turns out good. That's the best feeling in the world. Sometimes it don't turn out good. But the same God that directs you into the times that turn out good is the same God that directs you in the times that turn out bad. He's still God. She didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but she knew she was going to follow God. She was queen for a reason. Sometimes in order to find favor, you have to stand in the court. See, she waited in the king's presence. And because of that, she was granted favor. Are you willing to stand in the king's presence? Are you willing to wait as long as it takes? Uh, come on, we don't like to wait. Do you have that kind of boldness to step out and do it? How many times has God wanted us to stand in the court and pray and seek Him and we didn't do it? God's will takes boldness. The last principle I share with you, church, is this. Doing God's will requires, everybody's favorite word, patience. Count of three, everybody just say that with me. One, two, three. Patience. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Patience. Isn't that a great word? Somebody said, yeah, it's good. I need to pray for that. No, you don't. Why would you do that to yourself? One thing you never have to pray for. God is so good to always supply it. I've never heard anybody that had to pray for patience. Esther had, has this meal for King and Haman. Now, now, you know, they must have been Baptist because they had the meal... And the big request at the meal was, hey, let's have another meal. You know, that's how, that's how you know when Baptists get together because they go out to the restaurant, they talk about how good it is, and they start talking about, well, next time we go out to eat, let's try here. Now, come on, you resemble that remark. And Esther has a meal with, king, with the king and Haman, and she asks for another meal. Does that not strike you a little bit? Does that not puzzle you a little bit? Why didn't she just come out and say, this is what I need you to do? She's got him right there. He's in the crosshairs. He's already, the king said, I'm going to give you everything up to half a king, kingdom. Surely Haman isn't worth that much. Let, let, why doesn't she just go ahead and say, hey, this is what's going on. Take care of it. There's cultural reasons, I'm sure. But as I was reading through the week, that as she is going through this process of whining and dining them, isn't it amazing how in business world everything revolves around the meal? She's going through the process of, of convincing the king that it becomes more like, I need you, the king, I need you to tell me what your request is. And by the second meal, it's not so much that he's granting her request, but by telling him what's up, she's granting his request. 
And by doing that, he's obligated to do whatever it is, even if it's over half the kingdom. Because now he's putting her on the spot. No, I, I want you to tell me right now. What do you want? You ever had one of those moments with your kids? Tell me right now. No, Daddy, that's okay. Tell me right now. And it gets almost to that point. And all through this process, Esther has to maintain her poise. She has to keep her cool. She has to have patience. Have you been around long enough to know that you need patience to wait on God sometimes? Because God doesn't move as fast as you want Him to. Ever. I've never seen it, have you? I've always seen Him work on time. And at the, after Him working, I said, God, that was, that, was, that was great. That was just what we needed when we needed it. And God says, and I'm sure He's thinking before that, what were you doing? Panicking. Patience. Esther had to maintain her poise. She had to keep her cool. She had to wait on God. Don't you love to wait? Where's your favorite place to wait at? Everybody loves the doctor's office. Mine personally is the Walmart checkout line. That's my all-time favorite. I'm going to start taking my lawn chair. Unfold that thing and... You, what would they say if you did that? You think they'd get on you? One of these days I'm going to do that just for grins. I'd be on Facebook, yeah. People of Walmart, yeah. That's good. You know, I, just as I've said that, I'm sure I'm not the first person to ever thought about that actually, but nobody likes to wait. But sometimes you you're called to. How long are you willing to wait? Do you know there are people that have waited for years to be healed of a sickness and they're still not healed? Did you know there are people that for years have waited to see their loved ones get saved, come to Jesus? And you know, they've prayed night after night and cried and fasted. They've done it for year after year after year and, and, and they're still not saved. And the question isn't how long do you want to wait. The, the question is, is how long are you willing to wait? Is it worth it? Lord, I'll wait five years for my child to get saved, but I'm not waiting a minute more. You're just going to have to work. No, you'll wait as long as God requires you to wait. We have to have patience. Doing God's will requires patience. How many times have you lost your cool while waiting? Especially while waiting for God to work. And think about how many times we mess up what God is doing because we want to act. I guess the greatest way to test your patience is to fish. I would say hunting, but I'm not really a hunter. I, 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 it would be hard for me to sit in a deer stand for very long. I'd just go home. Wait for Gerald to bring me some deer meat. <laughs> but fishing, I can do a little bit. And, and I, I can throw it out and I can wait. And I, I've gotten at 43 years old, I can leave it in there a while. And I, I'm, I'm 
decent at waiting. But there's still a time that I'm ready to pull it up. I don't know exactly when it is, and every pond's different, and every day's a little different. But there's going to be a point that if I'm not getting a nibble, if I'm not getting a bite, I'm tired of waiting. I know people that could fish all day long with not one bite. God bless them. They ain't me. They're not me. I can't do that. You know, when you're younger, and of course I still do it some, but <coughs> you'll be at one spot fishing, and I'm, not, I'm talking about on the bank or at the pier or something, and you see the people over there, and they're just pulling them out left and right. And then they leave. And then I get my stuff and go to their spot as fast as I can. And then I'm waiting again. I look over where I was. Somebody's moved in. They're taking them hand over fist. I'm fishing wrong, I guess, but Listen, it'll help your patience because the fish bite when the fish bite. And when they don't, they don't. And God works when God wants to work. I want you to know that He's not trying to upset you. He's not trying to mess up your timetable. He's just doing what is best. Why? Because He's God. You can't see the whole picture. I wish I could see under the water when I'm fishing. I got a feeling there's fish laughing at me. Could be. But you know what? I can't see under the water just a little bit. And I can't see the whole picture of God's plan in my life. But I know He's working. Why? Because He loves me and He's God. But He may not do it by Tuesday. We love... The neatest thing. Y'all get ready to come for the invitation, but Tommy and, and Miss Judy, y'all can go ahead. The neatest thing in the world, and we do this with our shoeboxes now. We go back to every shoebox. If you brought yours today, we'll go back and make sure you get one of these little things put on. And it's got a little tracking device, a little scan bar. And we get to know where it's at. That way we're able to tell you it went to Wherever. I love that. Because we all have to know these things. And I also like the fact that FedEx and UPS now, when I get tired of waiting for my stuff to come, I can get online and track them. They'll say, left the, I don't know, the, the, the storehouse or whatever. Left, left the shipping dock or whatever. So I'm ready. Still hadn't heard from them. I'll get back on. En route. And you know, with all that technology, I'm more impatient than I've ever been. Because while they're in route, I'm thinking, well, you're in route, get here. The route might be 450 miles. We're not patient. To which I'm going to say, that's just too bad. Church, God will work when God works. Esther found out that as she was bold and as she stepped out and as she prepared, and as she had patience, God worked on her behalf. And we're going to get to see the rest of the story. But God was putting things in place. He wasn't late. He was on time. But how different would the story have been if she'd have done it on her own power and in her own time? As you stand, there may be things in your life this morning that you're ready for God to move on three weeks ago. I want to share with you, God is moving, God is working, but it may not be in your time. 
You're going to have to trust Him. You're going to have to have patience. You're going to have to do the preparations it takes. Have you prayed about it? Have you fasted about it? Have you done what God's called you to do on your side of it? Because church, I promise you, God's doing what He's going to do on His side of it. Today, if you need to come forward and pray, you can. Certainly, you may pray where you're at. But be in an attitude of prayer during this time of invitation. God, thank You today for loving us. And I pray You speak to the hearts that need to hear You in Jesus' name.